And now for the reading of the word. If you have a copy of the scripture that's in the corner, uh, please open it to page 53 and read along as we read from Exodus 12, verses 1 through 8 and 12 through 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall, keep, shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statue forever, you shall keep it as a feast. And now, the reading from the New Testament on page 955, 954, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. One of the uh, great passages in the Bible is the one that's before us today. It's one of the most significant chapters. It's the establishment of the Feast of Passover. One of the mysteries that scholars are amazed at is the longevity and the remarkable widespread influence of the people of Israel, the Jewish people. Because this rite goes back that we're reading about here 3,500 years. It's the longest continuously practiced religious rite in global human history, 3,500 years. And it is what ties these years together. These people gathered around this table on this night being memorialized. One great historian of religion, Huston Smith, in his very fine book on comparative religions wrote, when mindful of the impact of the Jewish perspective and what it's had on Western culture, you go back to the land, the people, the history that made this impact, we're in for kind of a shock we might expect it to have started with a great impressive influence. But in fact, these people, the Hebrews, were latecomers on the stage of history. Uh, by 3,000 
B.C., Egypt already had her pyramids. Summer and Akkad were world empires. By 1400, Phoenicia was colonizing. Where were the Jews in the midst of these mighty empires? They were overlooked. A tiny band of nomads milling around the upper regions of the Arabian desert. Too inconspicuous for the great powers to even notice them. And yet they changed history. He goes on to note that the land that was the promised land, the events of this chapter that led to them going to that promised land, is about an eighth of the size of Illinois. And yet the world was changed. It all comes back to the words that you heard this morning. Gather your family around a table. Take the blood of a lamb, put it on the doorposts of your house. Gather and eat and feast because I am coming to deliver you. Now that takes us back to the passage we looked at last week. Where God appeared to Moses in that burning bush and he said, I have heard the cry of my people. I have seen their affliction in the land of Egypt and I have come down to deliver them. And what ensues from that moment through here to chapter 12 is what in the words of the Lord are, I am coming to redeem my people. I'm coming to save my people. And what God does is he, in essence, declares a war on the gods of Egypt. And through a whole series of plagues, he begins to subvert their legitimacy. All the things that the Egyptians thought were gods, all the things in which they trusted, the living God, the creator God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob shows himself to be the one who is supreme and superior, the only one who is worthy of worship. One of their gods was Beelzebub, the lord of the flies, and so he sent a plague of flies. They worshiped the Nile as the source of life. Moses stretched out his rod. It was turned to blood. It became a place of death. They worshiped Ra, the sun god, and God turned out the lights. He made it dark in the land of Egypt, except in the land of Goshen. There was light there. God shone his glory in that place. God made this distinction, and those are just three of the plagues, and they all led up to this one particular moment. This was the Lord having a Liam Neeson moment. You know, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? Well, let me give you some words. This is, this is uh, from the movie Taken. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have any money. But what I do have is a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I won't look for you. I won't pursue you. But if you don't let her go, I'm going to look for you. I'm going to find you, and I'm going to kill you. Now, when you watch that movie and you see him speaking those words into the phone, what's everything in your heart do? You go, yeah, baby. That's right. We're coming for you. We're coming. We're coming. And you really kind of know where that story's going. You know he is going to come and rescue his enslaved daughter. That's what God did. He said to Pharaoh, you've turned my son, Israel, into a slave. And Moses was sent to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Let them go 
and worship me. Of course, Pharaoh refused. And so God started showing up. And he brought judgment, culminating in this. This rather terrifying moment where God says, you have been putting my children to death. And I'm going to turn the tables back on you. You've sown this. You're going to reap this. You have tried to kill my people. You've tried to stop the work of redemption in world history. Well, that's coming back on your heads. I'm going to go through the land of Egypt. I'm going to strike the firstborn. But then he, he came to his people who were there in that land, and he said, here's what I need you to do. I need you to get in a house, sit down at a table, take the blood of a lamb, put it on the doorpost outside, and then when that judgment comes through the streets, it won't touch you. My goodness. What is, what is that about? You know, whenever you're dealing with a biblical narrative like this, there's really a couple of questions you've got to answer. The first one is, what, is that, what did that mean? What did that mean to them? What, did, what was going on? And then secondly, what does it mean for us? What did it mean to them? What does it mean for us? What did it mean for them? Well, it means a couple of things. There are many things you could say, but I just want to mention a couple. It meant new beginnings, a brand new start. This was Israel's 4th of July, if you will. This was the day in which their freedom was established. It was their emancipation day, if you will. This was the moment at which they were coming out from under an oppressive power that had held them down. It says here in the first verse of chapter, chapter 12, this will be the, the new beginning for you. This will be the new month of the year for you. This is the new start for you. That's the first thing it was. This is a whole new beginning for you, a brand new start. And let me ask you a question about that. So suppose su suppose you're, you're there at that table as that terror is going on outside of you. You hear the wails. You hear the moans. You hear the cries from down the street. You hear it approaching. Now, if you're sitting at that table, you've got the, the bitter herbs. You've got the unleavened bread. You've got the lamb there on the table. And you're sitting there. You start shaking. You can hear it all starting to come. You start to tremble. Your knees start to knock. You might be tempted to run. What's the only thing you really have to do to get through the night? Just stay at the table. Just stay there. Was the was the power of your deliverance, the power of that new beginning, was it in the strength of the faith to sit at the table or was it in the power of the blood on the doorposts? It was in the power of the blood on the doorposts. God didn't say, when I come through the land, I'll see your faith. He said, when I come through the land, I'll see what? I'll see the blood. And that's what saves you. You could be strong in faith. You could be weak in faith. You might be trembling. You might be scared. But just stay at the table. Just stay in the house. Just stay there, even weak in faith, because God is bringing something about. And what he was bringing about was this. Here's the second thing it meant to them. It meant not only a new beginning. It meant freedom for them. They were finally no longer going to be slaves in the land of Egypt, beaten with rods and whips, building the cities of Pharaoh. 
this was the moment where if you keep reading in the chapter, because of what happened, the next morning, Pharaoh gets up and he goes, that's it. Get out. Go. Take your children. Take your, just leave. Please go. And they go with the riches and spoils of Egypt, and they're finally free. And they go dancing, they go celebrating, they go joyfully into the new day because they're finally free. But if you keep reading the story, there's an interesting aspect to this, you know. Because while it was one thing to get out of Egypt, it was another thing to get Egypt out of them. They go off into the wilderness now following Moses, and they go through the Red Sea. They get out of the wilderness. They're moving towards the promised land. And after a little while, these people who have been set free, you know what, you know what they start to do? They start to complain. They complain. And they complain about the menu. And they say, we want meat. We want meat. We're tired of manna burgers. We want some meat. And very interestingly, at this place where they're complaining and moaning, and Moses comes to God and says, I've had enough of these people. I've had enough of these people. Why did you give me these people? Just, if this is the way it's going to be, it's a wonderful, this is Numbers 11. I can tell you a lot of these stories. I'll just go with Numbers 11. Moses says to God, if this is the way it's going to be, just kill me now. That's a good pastor right there, right? Don't you like that? Just kill me now. And God says, oh, I'll give them meat to eat. He says, get all the people together. And God, God superintended this great bunch of quail to fly in. And God said to him, it's amazing. He said, oh, you're going to eat meat. You're going to keep eating this meat. You're going to eat this meat. It says, until it comes out your nose. And you loathe it. What you find out is that, it, is that you crave something. And it never, the thing that you crave that you think is going to satisfy you, in the end, it can't. It doesn't. It says the people of Israel called that place the valley of craving. The valley of craving. We crave it. We crave attention. We crave approval. We crave intimacy. We crave, we crave financial security. We, we, we crave all these things. We think that if we had those things, that those things would satisfy us. And one of the worst things that can happen is God gives you what you demand from him. And then it comes out your nose. And you start realizing that stuff isn't what's satisfying. Isn't it amazing? They were complaining about that. They did it because Egypt was down in their heart. They said, we're tired of this. We want to go back to Egypt. Back to Egypt? Are you kidding me? We want to go back to the place. Oh, yes, yes, we know. They beat us with rods. They whipped us. They oppressed us. They killed our children. But there was an upside. The food was free. Are you kidding me? They'd been freed. They'd been liberated. But there was something down in their hearts still of Egypt within. What does this mean for us? Their new beginning. Their new freedom. Well, to understand what it means for us, we have to go to a night towards the end of Jesus' ministry, and he was keeping Passover. He was doing what Moses said in Exodus 12 to do. You're going to keep this feast every year. And he said to his disciples, I've longed to keep this feast with you. And you know, there were set words that you, you had at that, at that Passover meal. It was very ritually laid out. Certain foods, certain words, certain cups, certain portions. 
And so they gathered around, and every one of those disciples knew exactly how that night was supposed to go. They, they knew what was supposed to happen. They'd been doing it their whole lives. They'd been doing this for 1,500 years at that point. And then Jesus did something incredible. Right in the middle of the meal, Jesus changed the words. And he said, this bread, this bread is me, broken. This cup is my blood for the doorposts. I'm the lamb. And it must have blown their minds because suddenly everything was different. Jesus changed the words because he wanted to change their hearts and change us. What does that mean for us? It means that he gives us a new beginning. If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. But it means this as well, that because he is our Passover, because as Paul, reflecting on that night, would write, and you heard it at the, in the text read from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning, just a few minutes ago, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. That means that Jesus has come to give us new freedom. Now, of course, some of you sitting there this morning might be going, well, you know, that's, that's, I don't know. I, I don't feel like a slave this morning. I'm no slave. I'm not a slave. Come on. I'm an American. I'm not a slave to anybody. You know, interestingly, Jesus said if anybody commits sin, they become a slave of sin. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on sinners. I'll, I'll just say I lead the parade. How about that? All right? If anyone commits sin, he's a slave of sin. That Egypt down within us that craves, that longs, that thinks that we can be satisfied with something other than God. And it turns out that sin is not so much something we've done as it is a power that lives within us. Sin isn't something we've done. It's a power. It's an internal power. It's a fire that's burning. Whenever we sin, we ignite a fire. Jonathan Edwards commenting on, on this said, no fire has ever been satisfied with enough fuel. The fire never goes, oh, that's fine, I've had enough. No, 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 no. The fire always looks for more oxygen, looks for more wood, looks for more paper, wants to consume more. And that's the deceptive promise of sin. It says just a little bit, but the fact is once the fire is ignited, we got to have more. We crave more. We want more. And the more we get, it, it turns out the less it satisfies us. This is the, the power of addiction. We're trapped by it. Every person here in a 12-step program, now or ever, every person who leads that kind of group knows that this is true. One of the very first things you have to do to move towards any kind of victory in those situations is to acknowledge the reality of the fact 
that the addiction is there and it grows and it wants to be fed and you got to acknowledge it. You can't, I can't as a sinner stand up and say, hi, my name's Dave, I've got no problems. No, that's, that's not how it works. We have to say, we've got a problem. We've got Egypt aflame within. Now, of course, you might be saying, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I, I mean, you know, okay, okay, I've done some, I've done some, but I really, I'm not that bad. Can I just tell you this morning, if you're sitting here this morning thinking you're not that bad, um, let me put it this way, you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> you're just not trying hard enough. All right, what do you mean? Well, well, let me put this. Let's just take the Sermon on the Mount. Let's take Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaching Sermon on the Mount. All right, here's what Jesus said. You not only can't commit adultery, you can't look and think about it. You not only cannot commit murder, you're not allowed to be even angry. You're not allowed to be envious. You're not allowed to be greedy. If you have any of these things, you will burn in hell forever. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? Isn't that great? That's what Jesus said. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to try to fulfill Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Jesus said, don't be concerned about your portfolio. Don't be concerned about how much money you got in the bank. Don't even be concerned about it. Don't think about whether or not you are styling, and I'm rocking the pocket square today, okay? Don't even be concerned about whether or not you're fashionable. Don't be concerned about your reputation. I don't want you to even think about it. You're clothed like the lilies of the field, better than Solomon. Don't even want you to think about it. Don't even think about it. I want you to try that. Hey, hey, just try it for three hours. Forget a whole day. Let's just try to get it down to three hours that you're awake. <laughs> Though some of you have discovered that even in sleeping, some of these things will jump up and bite you. Just try it. How are you doing? You know what we discover if we try to do it? What do, we, what do we discover? We discover Egypt down in the heart. That it's there. This is why, writing to the Romans, St. Paul, St. Paul said, I discover in myself a principle that when I want to do the right thing, I find another thing working in me, turning me into a slave so that I do the wrong thing. And then he asks a rhetorical question, who will set me free? And then he answers, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He's the one who brings freedom. That's why to be spared judgment, God's not this morning trying to look at the quality of your faith. He's examining the preciousness of the blood of the lamb. And that brings us to why Jesus came. Jesus, Paul said, is our Passover sacrifice. He's that. And Jesus said, this is why I was born. This is why I was born. He said, for this purpose, for this purpose, I was born and came to this hour. He was born for this. You know, if you sat down with any, any young person, you said, 
What do you want to be when you grow up? No kid will ever say, a sacrifice. <laughs> but if you'd have sat Jesus down when he was 12 and said, what's your mission? What's your purpose in life? My purpose, Jesus would have said, is to be a sacrifice. When he started his ministry, when he started his ministry, John the Baptist looked at him and said, behold the lamb who takes away sin. When Jesus was right there at the, at, the, at the last week of his life, he said, I was born for this. I, this is what I've come for. Yes, I'm going to die. That's why I was born. I was born to give my life, to be the blood, to offer up my blood, to free you so that you could be cleansed, so that you could be liberated. You know, one of the most unforgettable days I ever had was in early June of 1984. I didn't see it coming. I walked into the welcome area at Heathrow Airport in London. I was there picking somebody up, not, I don't remember who. But all of that welcome area inside Heathrow Airport in London was filled with veterans from the D-Day invasion. They had come for the 40th anniversary of D-Day. They were there with their unit hats. Some were in uniform. They were there with their battalion insignias. They were there from the U.S. and from Canada. There were British soldiers there who had been at both Dunkirk and D-Day. They had come for that 40th anniversary in 1984. And, of course, many of those, many of those men are now gone, lost so many of that generation. There they were hugging each other, greeting each other, and all those next, I, just looked at, I was looking in amazement just, just how beautiful that scene was, these courageous, incredible people. A couple of days later, after the reenactment, the flights in, the landing craft, and so on, the BBC was doing a story on the lives that were changed by that, and they had on a woman from France who lived there in Normandy. Her name was Elizabeth. She was a, she'd been a young girl at the time. And as the Nazi troops were retreating and the Allied forces were advancing, she was caught in the crossfire and she was shot and she was bleeding out. But a Canadian soldier named Dale saw her and picked her up and carried her to safety. Her wounds were taken care of and she survived. They had never seen each other since since that day, June 6, 1944, they'd never seen each other until that reenactment, that anniversary, and they met. And the BBC cameras were there and interviewing her. And they asked her what she thought of Dale. And Elizabeth said words with tears streaming down her face, you don't have to know French to understand. She looked at Dale and she said, Savior. Savior. What is Passover about? Savior. When death is all around, when judgment's all around, somebody laid down their life. You and I, so often, with such indifference, 
sing our songs or go to church, but we haven't been captured the way Elizabeth's heart had been captured by Dale. All of those years, knowing he'd rescued her. My friend, you can go to church all your life. You may have religion up to here. I don't care if you have church. I want to ask you a question. Do you have Jesus? Is Jesus beautiful to you today? Do you have him? Do you look at him and with tears streaming down your face say, Savior, your blood saved me. Your life saved me. My friend, that's Christianity. It's having Jesus. Do you have Jesus? I don't want you to have religion. I want you to have him. And I want your heart to be so captivated with him that this happens. The incredible, expulsive power of the beauty of Jesus enters into you. And he is so gorgeous, so amazing, his love so astonishing that all of that stuff down in your heart, all the valley of craving stuff that says, give me this and give me that, and maybe my heart will finally be satisfied. If I only had the right spouse with the right connections and the right looks, if I only had that degree or this job, all of that stuff is shown to be the empty scubalon that it is. And you see him and you go, that's all I need. If all I have is Christ then I have everything. I want to invite you this morning. If you've not yet put your trust in Jesus to do so, don't wait another minute. And if you have, whether you are strong in faith or weak in faith, all you have to do to stay in his blessing is just stay at the table. Come to the feast, for Christ your Passover has been sacrificed. His blood is on the doorposts of your heart, and death has no power over you. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Stand with me. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Savior, Savior, we worship you. We magnify you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. 
Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Oh, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Oh, beloved, we have a beautiful Savior. Amen? Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Let's confess our faith together. Saints of God, using the Apostles' Creed, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we lift now to you these tithes and offerings. You have given so much for us and to us. Receive these gifts back to you for the extension of your kingdom and the glory of your name until every inhabitant of the globe points at Jesus and says, Savior. Amen. Let's be seated together and worship the Lord in our giving. Amen. Let's all stand together. How many of you are glad? that the blood of the Lamb has been shed for you. Amen? Yeah. Woo! Thanks be to God. That's good. It's good to celebrate. You know, it's interesting out there in the wilderness where Moses said, just kill me. It was right in the middle of all that that God said, I want you to say these words over my people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Moses said, these people are too big a burden, just kill me. Jesus said, I'll carry their burden. And he laid his life down. And now you can take the message of his love to everybody you meet as you go to share his grace and peace. And there's only one way to leave a service where Christ has set us free, and that's with joy. So let's celebrate as we go in grace. Amen. Amen.